1: I had a conversation with a woman one time a number of years ago who said, you know, this sounds great, but in the family I grew up in, spending money is what we did. And this would just feel like so much deprivation if I stopped spending money the way I am in order to, to do this. And I said, well, it's just a different way of spending money. You know, it's just instead of going out and buying a new car or a fancier house or remodeling your kitchen, you're choosing to buy your freedom.
0: This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're bringing you another Best of MKM episode. This week, I'm going to be sharing a very timely and relevant interview I did with the Simple Path to Wealth author J.L. Collins in the spring of 2020. This was a time when the stock market was a little bit down due to the pandemic, Everybody was freaking out because nobody knew what was going on. And the stock market really had a turn for the worst, kind of like recently. So, um, J.L. Collins not only talked a lot of us off the ledge that spring, but he taught us the simplicity and power of index fund investing for long term financial success. Long term not short term, long term. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. It's very timely. And (laughs) this guy's very, very motivating. So without further delay, let's jump into today's show. Today, we're talking about investing in the stock market outside of your 401k and IRA. Now with the recent downturn in the market, some people are seeing this as a great time to buy stocks and invest. But Where do we start, right? Well, our guest today is J.L. Collins, and he's going to help us answer this question. J.L. Collins is the writer at J.L.CollinsNH.com and the author of the book, The Simple Path to Wealth, Your Roadmap to Financial Independence and a Rich, Free Life. His simplified investing wisdom has been featured in dozens of five-star podcasts, his featured talk at Google has been viewed over a half a million times, and even MarketWatch calls his book the number one book to read if you want to retire early. When JL isn't helping us find a simpler path to wealth, he's spending time with his wife, Jane, of almost 40 years, and his daughter, Jessica.
1: Welcome to the show, JL. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the great introduction. I have to tell you, I didn't know the Market Watch had, had said that about my book, so <laughs> I, I've already learned something new today.
0: <laughs> See, I can teach you something and then you could teach us something, right? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And you went
0: first. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. You know, I'm very interested in your path to financial independence. So when did you first decide that this is something you wanted to pursue in your life?
1: Well, first of all, I, I think you and, and your audience should understand that when I made that decision, there there was, as far as I knew, there was no concept of financial independence out there. at least I certainly hadn't heard of it. I watched my father have a serious business reversal uh, because he was a cigarette smoker and his his health failed, his ability to earn money failed, and along with that, our lifestyle failed because he was not a saver and investor. And that made me realize at a young age that this is a or can be a financially precarious world if you don't take steps. And so I knew early on that I wanted to have a financial buffer. I mean, from the time I was in high school, I didn't quite know how to go about that. But once I got in the working world, I started saving half of my income and I started to learn how to invest and I made every mistake you can possibly make. But nevertheless, it was a start. And if you have a high enough savings rate, it accommodates a lot of mistakes.
0: Yeah, that's the big choice to make to save half your income when you maybe don't have the direction to do that. Were there any influences back in that time where you're saying, hey, I've seen people do it this way and maybe this is why I'm moving that way? You know, there really
1: weren't. And I've often said my journey was kind of wandering in the wilderness because I had, there was of course no internet. There were no personal computers for that matter. So I didn't have any role models. I didn't know anybody else who thought the way I did or was doing what I did. In fact, I often questioned myself because I was so out of step with the people at at my office and, and what have you, but it felt right to me. So I kept Coming back to it, and because I started living on 50% of my income from the very beginning, it wasn't a hardship. I mean, it was, you know, when I, my first professional job, and now I'm dating myself, paid me $10,000 a year. So I just approached life as if I was being paid 5000 and that first 5000 went right off the top to, to buy my freedom.
0: Well, let's talk about how you bought that freedom. So you said you started investing. What did you do at that point to start investing that other portion of your income?
1: So this would have been 1975, and I didn't know anything about investing at the time. And I'd accumulated, I think, $5,000 just in a savings account. And I was working in downtown Chicago at the time. And about a block from my office, there was a brokerage office, a storefront. So I just walked into the brokerage office and I said I have five thousand dollars I want to invest. I was appallingly ignorant. I said I have five thousand dollars I want to invest and the nice lady said well let me you know let me sit you down with one of our brokers and and he asked me a few questions about risk and what have you and I you know, I said the typical things beginners say, I worked hard for this money, I don't want to lose it, I want something safe. And in retrospect, he, he did me a solid. He, he put me into Texaco and into Southern Company. Texaco, of course, is an oil company that's been merged into other oil companies at this point, and Southern Company was a utility. And they both at the time paid a handsome dividend and were pretty conservative investments. I knew about the dividend, but I wouldn't have known what a conservative investment was if somebody had, had said that. So I just followed his advice and I bought those two. And they would have actually served me very well over the years had I held them. But of course, the moment they went up a little bit, I got trigger happy and I sold them. So, you know, as I say, I made all the mistakes you can possibly make. That was just the beginning of a long line of them.
0: (laughs) So, when did you transition from investing in single stocks to index funds? I know that's a big part of your path. Yeah, and
1: that's kind of an embarrassing question, because it took an embarrassingly long time. So coincidentally, as as I mentioned, I started investing in 1975, and that just happened to be the year that Jack Bogle brought out the very first index fund, an index 500, uh, S&P 500 fund. I didn't know that at the time, and even if I'd known it, I would not have been wise enough to embrace it. I know that I would have been wise enough to embrace it, by the way, because 10 years later when a friend of mine in in the investment business introduced me to the idea of index funds. I wasn't wise enough to embrace them then, and it took me probably another 15 years before I did. One of the great ironies, by the way, is I actually achieved financial independence before I embraced indexing. Picking individual stocks and picking mutual funds that were actively managed and run by stock pickers. And I think that's an important point because it's not like that doesn't work. It's not like you can't achieve your goals there. It's just a whole lot more effort. And for a substandard result compared to indexing. So, had I embraced indexing when I first heard about it, I'd be far ahead of the game. It would have been a lot easier journey. And if I embraced it in 1975, it's, you know, sometimes when I want to punish myself, I think about how far ahead I would be now.
0: So, I guess if you were looking at today with the same choice between individual stock picking and index funds, I know you speak a lot about index funds now, and you say there's no you know, right way or wrong way, why do you think index funds would be a better choice for people today or or would they be?
1: Well, I think there is a right way and a wrong way. I mean, I, and I shouldn't say maybe not right or wrong, but there are better ways and less better ways. And, and indexing is more powerful. Study after study has shown that it's almost impossible to outperform the index over any significant period of time. Okay. Professionals, can't do it. Now there's some people who make the case that individuals have advantages over professionals and that's true they do, but they also lack the resources that professionals have. So I think well, on balance that's probably an equal playing field and and when people tell me that they've outperformed the index over years on their own, I say that's great glad you did it, I don't really believe it, but you know, if you're happy, I don't care, you can go do whatever you want to do. The research where it can be verified is is overwhelmingly indicates that in many given year or two, there's gonna be maybe 20, 25% of active managers that outperform. You stretch that out to 15 years, it drops considerably. You stretch it out to 30 years, and it's less than 1%. And that's essentially zero. So indexing is more powerful, and it's certainly a whole lot easier. And that's hence the title of The Simple Path to Wealth. It's written for people who don't want to spend all their time trying to figure out investing to get substandard results when they could just get a couple of things right, outperform over time, and go about living their lives and doing more productive things
0: that's what we're all about on the show is a simpler way to do things and the people you were talking about too are you know busy maybe active investors that are trying to figure this out and there's a lot of people who are listening to the show right now they just want to invest they want to do something that's simple and easy for their family and not think about it all day long so talk about some other advantages of index funds i know that it's obviously a simpler path to do it but there are other advantages as well right well i think
1: maybe it's a time to step back and talk about what an index fund is and then you can you can kind of see how it comes together so an active manager who runs a fund is is out trying to figure out what companies and what stocks they're buying are going to do better than others and choose the winners and avoid the losers and that sounds great in theory Bad it sounds so great in theory that's why it took me personally so long to embrace indexing because I look at it and I say gee if I could just avoid a few bad companies I'd outperform the index or if I could just pick a few good companies I'd outperform them but That's surprisingly difficult to do over time. The index on the other hand says you really can't do that effectively over time. You certainly can't overcome the costs of doing that over time, because actively managed funds have to pay those managers. and You as the investor have to pay that fee. So instead of trying to do it, and this was Bogle's brilliant insight, you just buy everything in the index. I prefer the total stock market index fund, and I prefer Vanguard's, which is VTSAX. And they simply buy literally every publicly traded company in the United States. And therefore, I don't have to worry about which companies are gonna outperform and which are gonna fail. Those that fail drift off the index, and they usually, before they go to zero. And of course, the most you can lose on those is 100%. Those that succeed can certainly go up 100%, but they can also go up 200%, or 500, or 1,000, or 10,000%. So the upside is unlimited. And the downside is very limited. And so you have this process that, that I'm kind of proud of this term that I coined, that's self-cleansing. So the S&P 500 fund or the total stock market index fund made up of this, this group of funds, a uh, group of companies, a group of stocks in the fund. It's continually cleansing itself. The ones that fail, fall off, new exciting companies that are coming up and have been created get added. The winners are allowed to run, and that's why it continually outperforms and continually goes up over time, even though it's going to be a wild and volatile ride, as certainly the last few weeks have shown us.
0: Absolutely. We're in a major volatile time. So you mentioned Vanguard as a place you like to invest. Why Vanguard versus other things? You know, there's a wave of interest in apps like Robinhood and things like that right now. Why Vanguard over something like Robinhood?
1: Vanguard is unique, and this is another part of Jack Bogle's brilliance. Vanguard is unique in the way it's structured. And the way it's structured is when you buy the fund, any fund that Vanguard puts out, you become an owner of Vanguard. And that doesn't happen in any other investment company. So when you buy a fidelity fund, you're buying a fund from them, but Fidelity is owned by the Johnson family. It's privately held, and there are probably some other shareholders. And so Fidelity has two masters to serve. It has you, the investor, and they certainly want to do a good job for you because that way you stay invested and you keep putting your money with them. But the main master they're serving are the owners. And that's true of any business. That doesn't make them bad guys. It's just a characteristic. With Vanguard, their interests are completely aligned with yours as the investor because you're not only an investor, you're an owner. T. Rowe Price is a publicly traded company. So it's the same thing as Fidelity. They're certainly gonna try to do the best job they can for their fund owners, but their primary job is to deliver return to their shareholders. And that's a profound difference. And the profound difference is shown where the core value of Vanguard is to continually drive down fees. The core objective of the other companies is to charge as much for their product as they can, consistent with, of course, serving their customers, so they can deliver the maximum value to their shareholders. This is not a bad thing. This is not a corrupt thing. This is the same thing that General Motors does when they sell cars. You know, they're trying to sell those cars for as much money as they can, consistent with getting people to buy as many as they can for the benefit of their shareholders. Same thing with Apple. Apple makes devices, they're trying to sell them for as much money as they can, consistent with selling as many as they can to the maximum benefit of their shareholders. Both those companies and every company does that by trying to put a great product in front of their customers. But make no mistake, their customers are not their primary master. And long answer to an easy question.
0: We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. Thanks for taking the time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. I've been investing with Vanguard for a while. I enjoy the products that they have, and I enjoy how simple it is as well, too. So I, I want to speak to the person right now who is you know, looking at this market and saying, yeah, I've been investing in my 401k and my Roth IRA and things like that, but I want to take advantage of where we are in the market right now. It sounds like index funds and Vanguard are a good place for people to check out. Is that what you're thinking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what, again, Vanguard is is my favorite. Let me also quickly make the point that if you are interested in buying a total stock market index fund, which is my preference, or an S&P 500 index fund, which is almost equally good, an index fund is an index fund. So if you buy a total stock market index fund from Fidelity, you're going to get a very similar portfolio to Vanguard's. It might be a little bit different because sometimes they track slightly different indexes, but essentially an index fund is an index fund. So any of your listeners who are currently invested with Fidelity or some other firm and they like them, they're comfortable with them, they shouldn't feel compelled to change to Vanguard. Vanguard's my choice, and I think, as we already discussed, there are reasons for that. If you're starting from scratch, I would say, you know, anybody who asks me personally, I would I would go to Vanguard, and you can log on to the Vanguard website and probably get started with a few mouse clicks. If you're uncomfortable doing that, pick up the phone and talk to the representative and say, "Hey, you know, I want to open an account," and uh, I'll walk you through it. The mechanics of opening the account are very easy. Absolutely.
0: It's a point at which maybe people are saving for a while in their retirement and they think, well, you know, I'd like to have a little bit more money today. And I keep hearing about this concept of early retirement. That sounds really nice. How does somebody make that decision of when to stop investing in their 401k or IRA versus a taxable brokerage? Or do they do both? How does somebody make that decision?
1: Well, I think, first of all, if you are making the decision to be financially independent, at a relatively young age or at a relatively short period of time. And by the way, you don't have to start at a young age to become financially independent. So if you have a savings rate of about 50%, which is what I did, the numbers tell us that's going to take you about 14, 13, 14 years to get to FI based on the various metrics we can talk about later. That doesn't matter if you start at the age of 20 or you start at the age of 50. It's going to take about a decade and a half or a little bit bit less. If you you are going to save at that kind of rate, at a 50% or greater rate, to get to FI in some relatively short amount of time, by definition, you're probably already going to be maxing out your tax-advantaged accounts like IRAs and 401Ks. And you're gonna have extra money to invest, in all likelihood, and that's when you open a taxable account. So I guess my advice would be first fund your your tax-advantaged accounts and then open your taxable account. But that's probably gonna happen at the same time if you have the kind of savings rate it's gonna to take to achieve FI in a relatively short period of time.
0: Can you talk about why it's important to take advantage of those tax advantage accounts first?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, there's only so much that you can put into tax-advantaged accounts. and they reduce your taxes right now, which allows more money to be invested and then to grow and earn over time. And there is a presumption made that when you, I don't like the word retire, but when you stop, start living on the portfolio and you start drawing on those accounts, you will be in a lower tax bracket. So you avoid paying tax in your peak earning years or in your earning years where you're paying relatively high taxes. You give up your earned income, you start living on the portfolio. Presumably your income and your tax bracket drops at that point. So even though you have to pay taxes ultimately to the government, you're going to be doing it at a lower rate. Now there's a lot of assumptions in there. Who knows what tax bracket. If you're a young, young person and, you know, you're looking out 20, 30 years, who knows what tax brackets will be, but it's a burden hand. And so that's the immediate advantage.
0: So let's say we're starting to build up our portfolio, whether it's in retirement or in a taxable brokerage. We hear a lot about portfolio diversification. So how can investors keep this diversification choice simple?
1: That's a really interesting question because, for me anyway, because occasionally, I, you know, I recommend only two funds. I recommend VTSAX, which is Vanguard's total stock market index fund. And I recommend that when, when you're when you're in your earning years and you have cash flow coming and that's the only fund I think you need my daughter's a good example that's what I've told her that's the only fund she's young and working and every month she's put money in so when the market takes one of its periodic expected natural drops like it is now then she benefits from that drop because she has that cash flow and some people say well what about diversification i mean isn't isn't that important you're only recommending one fund We have to step back and realize what that one fund is as we said earlier with that one fund you own virtually every publicly traded company in the united states that's last count somewhere around 3600 companies now to put that in perspective because sometimes you know people get a little Little off track, I think, worrying about diversification when I was young, which is a long, long time ago, and index funds didn't exist at least initially. And I was first looking at this stuff. The recommendation to have a a well diversified portfolio, you know, typically you were buying individual stocks because that was the most available option. A well diversified portfolio was defined as owning seven or eight industries. So picking seven or eight sectors and then picking one or two companies within those sectors. And that was your portfolio. And that was considered well diversified. Well, that's maybe 15, 16 stocks altogether. But that was a well diversified portfolio. So when people say to me, JL, you only want one fund. You're not diversified enough. Kind of don't quite understand what that one fund is and what diversification used to look like.
0: Thousands of thousands of companies instead of 17, right? That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about early retirement, because we poked at it a little bit there. You said 14 to 15 years, if you're doing this path right at 50 percent, how can somebody do that? Let's say somebody is starting today and they're 30 years old and they said, you know what? I think this is a great idea. I think I can do this in the next 14 to 15 years if I live on 50 percent. What would be their first step to walk a simple path for financial independence?
1: Well, I suppose the first step is if, if they're 30 years old and they haven't had a high savings rate. If they're, like most people, they're probably saving most of, or they're probably spending, rather, most of their income. You know, maybe, and most Americans live paycheck to paycheck, so maybe if they're really ahead of the curve, they're saving five or 10%, and that's not gonna get you to early retirement. That's barely gonna get you to a retirement at 65 or 70. So the first thing they're gonna to need to do is look at their expenses and figure out how to organize their life in such a fashion to live on a lot less. I never had that, because I just did it right out of the box. And I didn't realize what a gift I was giving myself because I, I never had to unwind a lifestyle to get to that savings rate as as many people do. So that's that's step number one. And that's a tough step and I appreciate that. And I think the way you reconcile it is you have to say, well, how important is my financial freedom? Because that's really what you're buying. So I had a conversation with a woman one time a number of years ago who said, you know, this sounds great, but in the family I grew up, in, spending money is what we did. And this would just feel like so much deprivation if I I stopped spending money the way I am in order to, to do this. And I said, well, it's just a different way of spending money. You know, it's just instead of going out and buying a new car or a fancier house or remodeling your kitchen or you're choosing to buy your freedom. And it's not my job or responsibility to tell anybody what to do with their money. That's it's your money. You can do whatever you want to do with it. What I would suggest is think about how valuable is financial freedom to you. And if you find yourself putting off in, because that's what you're buying with investing. And if you find yourself putting off, setting aside that money and investing it in order to buy the fancier car or to remodel the kitchen or the wardrobe, then clearly financial independence is not that valuable to you. And that's, that's okay. I mean, everybody lives their own life, but it's not reasonable to say, I still want to keep buying all those things I've been buying. I still want to keep living the same life I've been living, and I want to be financially independent. You're going to have to make some hard choices. I mean, for me, the, you know, the idea of my freedom was always, nothing else even came close. So it wasn't a hard choice for me, but for some people, I imagine it would be a hard choice
0: what was it about financial independence or early retirement at that time that excited you? I mean, was it getting out of the work that you were in, being able to spend more time with family? What was your driving force?
1: Well, as I said earlier, you know, I watched what happened to my father and by extension our family, and I never wanted to be in that vulnerable position. So I think that was the start of it. And then there was just living, living. I never felt deprived. I mean, it just... If you sit back and you think about it, and that first $10,000 job that I had, well, if I if I hadn't been pursuing financial independence and I had a $5,000 a year job, I would have figured out how to live on that, because that's what you kind of have to do. And and then, of course, I didn't stay making $10,000 as my income grew. So did the amount of money I had to spend. I mean, because when it went to 20000 now, I'm doubling both my investment money and my living money, so just never, particularly felt like deprivation to me.
0: It's a good path to live, and you've created a lot of opportunity for yourself. I understand you've traveled around the world and spent a lot of good time with your family and been able to give back too, especially with this interview today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share this with us. Where can people find you, read your blog, and maybe purchase this book that you have?
1: Well, the easiest way to find me is jlcollinsnh.com. That's the blog. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook, but the blog is sort of the center of everything, and if you go to the blog, you'll see a copy of the book on the upper right-hand corner, and you click on that, it takes you to Amazon. I would hasten to say there is nothing in the book that you can't find on the blog, and that was by design, and actually went against the recommendation that book publishing people gave me. You know the recommendation was make sure there are things in the book that they can't find on the blog, so they have to buy the book. And I thought, well, that's kind of a bad thing to do. I mean, I you know I want the information to be available. So the book is it's a little better organized and and a little more concise, and I think the writing is a little more polished. So at least I spend more time polishing it. I'll let I'll let the readers decide. So then you can find the book on Amazon. You can get it at your library. But all the information is on the blog itself and on the blog there's a section called the stock series. That's where most of the information is. So I'd suggest anybody listening go first to the blog, read the stock series or at least read a few of the posts in the stock series and see if this resonates with you. And if it does, you can just, you'll get everything out of the blog if you want to do that. And if you want to take the next step and buy the book, then that's great. You'll help pay for my travels.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed the book a lot. I've actually given it away on this show a couple times. So I really appreciate you being here to share this knowledge with us. And for those who are starting to invest right now, to help them create a simpler path to financial independence. JL, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And thanks for recommending the book. I appreciate it.
0: There is a simple path to wealth and financial independence. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with J.L. Collins. Number one, index funds are self-cleansing. J.L.'s term self-cleansing, it's a great way to understand the power and simplicity of index fund investing. When one company falls out of the index due to poor performance you're automatically not investing in them anymore because they are not a part of the index. Voila, self-cleansing. <laughs> Number two, invest in tax-advantaged vehicles first. The 401k, the IRA, the HSA, these are great places for you to save on taxes and build your wealth. Consider taking advantages of these options before looking to a taxable brokerage account. Number three start your path to FI by increasing your savings rate. Your ability to save more each month is a true superpower. If you're only saving 5% right now, saving 50% can feel really overwhelming. Start by increasing your savings rate incrementally, month over month, and you'll eventually get to a spot that feels right. I'd recommend looking at decreasing your expenses in areas that won't mess with your joy, So look at like lowering your cell phone bill or your insurance plans or looking at a cable package that isn't so expensive. These quick phone calls can help you save a lot of money and it really doesn't mess with your life that much. And then you can look at the other big areas like housing, transportation, and food. Soon enough, your savings rate will start to grow and your path to financial independence will become much clearer. JL, thank you so much for helping us find our simple path to wealth. I wish you and your family a safe and happy and healthy year. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a financial professional for your specific situation. Big thanks today to Dan Tabbitt for editing the show and also Alec Collins for putting together our YouTube videos. I feel really grateful to have you guys both helping out on the show. Thank you. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one thing to support this show, everybody. Join our Thriving Families Facebook community. We have a group of over 800 participants now. And it is growing, man. It is growing and we're having a lot of fun. One thing that we like to do in that community is do a shout out for people who are doing some great things. So we throw in there and we say, hey, what are some wins you've had recently? And tell us about them so we can celebrate you. So I'm just pulling up the website right now and we're gonna look it up and see what people are up to lately and how they are crushing their goals. So one piece of news that was shared in our Thriving Families Facebook community in the wins section was John sharing about how he is on track to become a millionaire by the end of 2021. And that is such a cool goal as we're talking about people reaching financial independence today and tracking your net worth. So if you've got some fun wins to share, you know, maybe you're not becoming a millionaire like John, but where are you on your path to becoming a millionaire down the road, whether it's 10 years from now, 30 years from now, share with us where you are and your wins along the way, and even interact with folks like John in our community to learn how they are doing it as well. So that's what's going on in the Thriving Families Facebook community. Come join us, share with us, and help everybody win and thrive. It is a lot of fun. Again, you can check that out at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm gonna end the show with a quote today from Sir John Templeton. The four most dangerous words in investing are this time it's different. Stay consistent and keep riding the roller coaster, my friends. Carpe diem.